right. So hopefully we'll have some joiners. Um, go ahead and get started this evening. So thanks for those who are joining us or who watch this after the fact. I know there's uh, several who do that. So definitely appreciate it. Uh, tonight we got Dan and Dave and myself, um, Josh. And Alex won't be joining us tonight. I'm sure he's got some uh, something going on, probably homework. Um, but uh, I do have uh, a few articles. Uh, last last uh, meeting was uh, definitely more uh, rife with uh, good news. We kind of went back to a, a slow news cycle uh, for this week. But uh, let me get my screen going here. One. So, this is coming from SUAS News, but uh, also um, an organization that uh, we definitely uh, uh, kind of partner with a little bit, the DSPA. Um, so, they have acquired their first FPV Beyond Visual Line of Sight Part 107 waiver. Um, so Kenji Sugihara was uh, awarded the first Beyond Visual Line of Sight um, Part 107 waiver in the United States that does not require a visual observer. Um, while the process was not complicated, Kenji benefited from, from understanding the risk assessment process with the FAA, as well as their affinity for incremental approach to approvals. To be awarded a waiver, both ground and air risk need to be mitigated. The FAA not only required a concept of operations, abbreviated CONOPS, but also an operational risk assessment. Uh, the FAA also required FCC documentation on the emitters that were on the uh, FPV emitters that were used. Um, so this is a step in a direction that uh, we definitely want to go. Uh, I part of this was in response to uh, a droning on at night uh, event last year, where uh, Jay Merkel came on and. Uh, was and speaking Jay to is the uh, head of executive, UAS operations, director of the UAS integration office in the FAA. Yes. Formal title, the head honcho <laughs> of yeah. UAS at the FAA. That's better. I don't know what. Yeah. Yay. I don't know what today's it. date is, but uh, yeah, I remember the title. <laughs> but uh, um, so he was talking with uh, Drew Camden and uh one of the things that came up was, uh, was the issue of spotters and, um, Jay's recommendation was to start submitting waivers. Um, he said that the waiver process is a process that the FAA goes through, um, to look at new rate, the possibility of new regulations or loosening up of other things. So the more, uh, waivers that we can get, uh, approved without a spotter, the the higher the chance it, and without incident, let me preface it with that, uh, and without incident, uh, the higher the chances that we could be looking at a future with um, spotterless flights. Yeah, the way I sort of um, look at it, when the FAA gets sick of uh, granting all these waivers and they realize that it's kind of pointless <laughs> and they can use them as proof to say, hey, look, people are doing this, it's safe, we don't need to send all these waivers, just make the regulation meet the reality and make... It, so people can do it this way. So our, our hope is case. that, yeah, the, in the future, the FAA will see, 
all of these waivers, all these people flying safely, and there's no incidents, and they'll just change the regulations so that we can fly FPV without having to have a spotter. And like I think you were about to say, they did basically that same thing with the flights at night for Part 107 operations and flights and over flights people. over people. Yep, absolutely. So we we should add that um, these waivers are only for Part 107 uh, pilots. Yeah, yep. absolutely. And there are no, there are no waivers for uh, recreational or 44809. Right. So if you're recreational, get your Part 107. If you want to contribute to the waiver process. Um, I know this is something we were uh, working on as well, and we're probably going to continue to to look at this and and probably help with the incremental increase in um, making this you know I guess a looser restriction um, and get you know either higher farther um, these kinds of things without having to have a spotter. Um, <clears throat> so definitely a really cool process. Um, and really cool that Kenji uh, was able to do this uh, with uh, FPV. So, and not only did he do it, but he explained very clearly how he was able to get the approval so that other people can do the same thing, or at least get a, a good place to start to get their approval done. Absolutely. So you can, you know, if you've got a Part 107, you've got a good reason to to uh, go after the waiver. I'm definitely encouraging you to do it. Um, the one thing that I would say is do so safely and without incident, uh, so that we can utilize your, uh, operations as further evidence to kind of, uh, get this kind of pushed away. So this is, you know, flights without spotters has been the, you know, a thing for a long time. So if we can, you know, move past this, that's another step in the right direction for rec for recreational and part 107. So. And I would assume uh, as we possibly get somebody who's on the FPV Freedom Coalition to get a waiver, then we will try to also share more information about how we did it and how someone else should go about doing it as we get more experience with that. Absolutely. I think that's the important thing, too, is getting over that hump, getting people willing to do it and seeing that you can do it. And then you mm -hmm. get that that the just the time of people doing it without there being problems to show the FAA that like you know this is not some big dangerous scary thing with the kinds of drones we're using mm -hmm. absolutely yep. exactly. totally agree and um I think the you know the hard part is is the waiver approval process sometimes it can be challenging it's better than it was it's not as good as it could be so um it takes time so and we, you know, we also we leveraged uh, or Kenji leveraged the um, shielded operations, which we worked on for months, seven, mm -hmm. eight months with uh, the Beyond Visual Line of Sight Aviation Rulemaking Committee. So this was a concept that what the FAA had been hearing about from us in FPVFC since 2019, 2020, when we uh, recommended it as part of the uh, UAS facility maps uh, DAC work and then brought it up again and again and again and again and it's a pretty, pretty central part of flight under 500 people in the bb loss arc so glad that that's making uh, progress absolutely and shielded operations was something we initially heard of from xjet uh bruce and he told us about it i'd never heard of it before obviously we all live in the united states um but something that's uh works and is effective in new zealand so it, and it completely made sense. So it was something that we, you know, absolutely kind of 
took and we you know kept pushing it and recommending it and throwing it in our responses to things like the remote id and um so on and so forth and we just keep pushing it and so it's finally going places um there's still uh funding from the faa with a couple of universities on beyond or on uh sorry, shielded operations and their viability. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what comes out of those, what the recommendations are. And um, this was in the ARC as well. So what uh, comes out of the ARC on the on the backside uh, of all the work that was done there. So, all right, this I wanted to follow up to last town halls. Uh, um article that we did on the FPV fly-through of the Tesla Gigafactory in Germany. And uh, we were questioning about who the pilot was. Well, this is an article from Tech Radar, and they uh, got with the pilot um, who flew the video and did, uh, um, did the flights. So... Um, the, the pilot's name is Ferdinand Wolf, um, and they said that the complexity of the Tesla Gigafactory video gave us visions of painstakingly constructed replica models like Dr. Emmett Brown's Plywood Town Square and Back to the Future and Towers of Risk Assessment Forms, but the reality was actually a lot simpler. We had a one-day scouting where we checked the, diff uh, the different locations and already did some test flights. On location, we then planned the shots, rather run-and-gun style, which was only possible because of the amazing support of all the Tesla Gigafactory employees. Everybody there was super supportive and tried to help us as much as possible to get our shots, he adds. Because some of those shots have never been done before, like flying through the Gigapress and the stamping machine, we had to understand how the machines work and where we can fly without risking the machines and drones, he explains. <laughs> and figure out the timing, I assume. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, so which drones risk their lives in the name of incredible FPV footage? Fernand used two types of drone, one for the indoor video and another for the external shots. Um, so he used a two and a half inch Cinewhip drone um, and a Radiomaster TX-16 for the shots. Um, so, uh, and then, uh, let's see. Da, da, da. I was trying to find where the other video was. So he used... Uh, uh, DJI, uh, Cadex Vista, Express LRS, um, and then the DJI FPV goggle V2s. Uh, he's got quite the setup going on. Um, he's got a uh, headset and microphone, and I assume he's yeah, yeah he's communicating got a whole with people. Probably communicating with people, yeah, absolutely. So uh, pretty cool. Uh, there's a lot more to the article. I'm not going to go you know super deep into it, Sarah, if you want to go through it, but... Um, I did want to give a massive shout out to Ferdinand Wolf. Uh, he did a great job uh, flying through there. So really neat. All right. This is uh, pretty cool in a certain sense, I guess. Um, so this is a counter UAS UAS. <laughs> so um, it takes so itself it's... out of the sky? Like it most does, of our drones actually. tend to do eventually? <laughs> so this seems this... like maybe overly complicated for what it needs to do. <laughs> I, it does. It does in a way, right? So, you know, I don't know, maybe two or three years ago, there were drones that uh, could specifically target another drone. It would just go full bore and, like, bust into the other drone. 
almost like a miss like a guided missile but it was all kind of autonomous this one's a little interesting so this one launches its own propellers off <laughs> i did not drone. expect that that picture <laughs> holy crap <laughs> <laughs> to spread a net out to capture a drone. <laughs> I can't even. I mean, it's cool. Don't you only get, me get wrong, one shot, I assume. You can't like you really, reel yeah. the motors back in and try again. It's really interesting. I mean, it seems like there's some kind of uh, quick release system. You can see the carbon down at the bottom of the picture here. Um can you imagine Where... pitching pitching this? You know, you're the inventor and you're trying to get someone to you know put money down to make this thing. You're like, no, look, and then and all of a sudden, all four of the of the motors jump off their mounts and they carry this net and they drop it over the target drum. Like, it's what it's definitely cool. It's, it's crazy, but <laughs> it seems like a cool idea. It does. It absolutely looks like a cool idea. So working a net will definitely take a drone out. Yeah, I mean. You know, um, so the let's see, da, 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 uh, Aless, uh, sorry, Alexi Zait Zaitsevsky. Okay, I apologize if I butchered that. So it's Alexi Zaitsevsky. Okay, I think I got it that time. Uh, so it's a prototype of a high speed racing drone that can self destruct using its own propellers to spread out a net to take down other drones. Uh, they go on to say it's one of the coolest designs we've seen for drone takedown technologies, and it has the additional benefit of being potentially cheap to deploy. I guess, ish. Um, a good racing drone operator can use the two cameras to position the drone. The front-facing camera can be used to find the drone, and the top camera can be used to position the net exactly where it's needed before detaching the individual rotors to send the net towards the offending drone. It's a way, I guess. Um, and it is it is good that it doesn't use jamming frequencies, which are yes. so awful. It's Absolutely. sort of got that shape of like those top speed drones where they're trying to break speed records. Yeah, so um, I'm very familiar with this kind of shape of the drone. Uh, when I was uh, I did an article for Get FPV, and uh, it was a gentleman who was here in here in Phoenix that was trying to. I uh, flew from Michigan uh, to come down and uh, basically try and break the speed record, which he did. Uh, it was really, really cool. So, um, and his drones were shaped exactly like that. Um, they were all, they had uh, custom custom shells that were 3D printed and, or nose cones and uh, re really cool. All right. All right, I'm going to keep harping on this thing because it's the coolest thing ever. NASA's drone is still going. It was expected to do maybe five flights. It's still going a year later. So this thing is <laughs> Somebody over-engineered it just a little bit. Hey, you know what? I'll take it. It's still cool. I love it. The Energizer. Look that hardcore. What's that? When you look at the actual drone itself, it doesn't look like it was really that hardcore. Like there's all that much to it. No, but here's the deal. Agreed. It launched from Earth, flew through space, made reentry on Mars, deployed from a from a rover, and has done I think uh, 25 flights. Um, weighs four pounds, 19 uh, uh, 19 inches high. Um, and oh, sorry. Let's see. Nope. Uh, so the 
first flight uh, lasted 39 seconds. Um, it has gone uh, 12.3 miles per hour. It's its fastest speed that it's done so far. And it covered 708 meters. Um, its longest time in the air is 169 and a half seconds, um, which was recorded on a mission last summer. That probably beat some people's first flights. Hey, you know. I <laughs> mean... <For sure. laughs> so it's flown for a total of 46 minutes um, and uh, traveled and has traveled 3.6 miles. So, I mean, it, it's doing pretty good. I mean, it's taken a year to go 3.6 miles, but... <laughs> You know, when you're doing it from a whole nother planet, right? So uh, I still think this is one of the coolest things ever. Um, And uh, I'll be sad when when I see more of those. Anytime we're going to send probes to planets that have atmospheres, I think this is something we're going to start considering because, you know, it's now proven. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, just throwing that in there. It's my passion. That little drone. All right, uh, bad news for Hobby King. This is this is several years old at this point. Um, we knew, I don't know, a couple years ago that Hobby King got fined uh, $2.8 million uh, for uh, essentially selling VTXs that didn't have uh, licensing or uh, warnings on licensing. Um so the Federal Communications Commission determined that Hobby King marketed to U.S. customers at least 65 models of audiovisual transmitters that were not certified by the federal agency and would not have legitimate amateur radio use. I take issue with that. I mean, it has legitimate. FPV flying is legitimate reason to to use those on amateur radio. But I digress. Well, where they, where they really got uh, fried was they were... Um... They didn't shut off the frequencies that are immediately adjacent to the ones right. we use, which are uh, emergency uh, frequencies for ambulance and uh, uh, and emergency vehicles. Yes. So that and of note is that in the FCC circular on this, not only is the manufacturer culpable, the retailer is called culpable and accountable, as is the user. And so this is one that. Uh, uh, when we are, were working on this, we alerted every retailer we could, and now you see uh, warnings on from every retailer. You need your ham license, and the retailers have been really good about going back to the manufacturers and making sure that any VTX that comes into the United States does not operate on those emergency frequencies. Yeah, uh, it was a pretty bad deal. It said uh, right here, 15 of the 65 models created a threat to public safety. And we're kind of overlapping some of those bands there. So the government uh, is seeking $2.8 million for Hobby King's violations and $39,278 for the failure to respond to the commissioner's orders. Um, the comp- let's see. The company has argued to federal regulators that there's no marketing rules that specifically address versatile drone equipment capable of both amateur and non-amateur frequencies, that it had no notice that its marketing was unlawful. And the company argued, also argued that responding to the agency would violate its Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination, and the amount of the fine should be reduced due to the company's inability to pay. Um, so we'll see what happens here. Uh, Hobby King, uh, part of their uh, operation is based in Oregon. Um, 
And uh, so. now, Josh, the infraction was back in, I think, 17, 2017 or 2018. Is this article yeah. new and just coming through yeah. the court? Yeah, okay. so they've That's refiled for basically uh, to get them to pay because how yeah, they still haven't paid. Pay. They're still trying to get their yeah. money. So this is a new article about still trying to get money from them. Very interesting. Well, Hobby King not responding to them just kind of sealed their fate there. Like, Well, they don't respond yeah. to customers that know. much, so I, mean, I don't know about the, <laughs> responding to the FAA. I mean, here's the deal. Like, you know, I don't want to see anybody in the hobby get sued by the federal government. It's not a good thing. But, you know, and I'm no lawyer, so I can't tell you, you know, them or anybody else what to do. But it might be a good, I think, to maybe answer the phone. Yeah, well, there are a number of, a number of um, retailers uh, were fined and did mm -hmm. pay the fine. And it was, uh, I mean, folks that uh, are are very uh, very credible. Get FPV was one, and I'm pretty sure Ready Made RC was another. And you know, they they were fined and they paid the fines and uh, and you know no Put issues. Some warnings going up. And, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Hobby King so. will probably just close up shop and then open up a new store called Hobby Kingdom and uh, start over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well i don't know we'll see what happens all right and last but not least um we have new grants uh coming out of the faa to universities a lot of them are the same ones uh same universities that they've worked with before in fact i think all of them um so 4.4 million uh in drone research grants to seven universities uh, the research will focus on three areas, electromagnetic compatibility, detect and avoid classifications, and cybersecurity oversight. Electromagnetic um, compatibility. Yeah, so this one uh, is uh, will assess the risks, identify drone design vulnerabilities, identify material and procedural mitigations, and propose guidance for safer electromagnetic compatibility with emitted and static fields. I don't know. I'm guessing that's like, about the interference and the radio stuff. Maybe. I bet it's also also related to stealth technology. It could be, yeah. That's not a bad idea, too. So those grants are going for that are going to University of North Dakota, University of Kansas, and Drexel University. They each got uh, about $325,000. Um, and then we've got investigate, detect, and avoid track classification and filtering. This research will provide proposed metrics, guidance, and test methods to assist, sorry, apparently I can't talk today, assess the effects of false or misleading information on detect and avoid capabilities. The findings will support beyond visual line of sight operations. Um, so this would probably be mostly for testing existing detect and avoid systems to make sure that they are correct per manufacturer. And I'm probably worried about like actual malicious attacks too, because computer vision is real easy to screw with. Mm -hmm. Right, absolutely. But anything that's a, a good viable uh, detect and avoid uh, will will feed into uh, the uh, unmanned uh, traffic management. And since we've we don't have network remote ID that uh, the UTM people were banking on, it's it just makes a lot of sense that. Uh, the unmanned traffic management needs a better uh, detect and avoid. Yep. 
So this will go to Ohio State University, who's getting the bulk of that uh, at $732,000. Embry-Riddle's getting three seventy. dollars uh, Mississippi is getting three hundred thirty, dollars And University of North Dakota, an additional $80,000. Um, the last one is there Illustri- for North Dakota. <laughs> At least, well, I think they're probably factoring that they're going to be busy with the electromagnetic compatibility, maybe, or maybe they're just being, you know, doing supportive research as well, as opposed to bearing the full brunt of it. Yeah. So, uh, the last one is uh, illustrate the need for cyber UAS cybersecurity oversight and risk management. This one sounds a little fishy to me, but I mean, hey. Research will address UAS cybersecurity oversight and risk management as it pertains to the National Airspace System and other FAA systems. Um, so this one seems like it, it's going to feed probably into the UTM. Um, but the other, thing, the other thing that I hope that they start to address is that uh, there's a lot of um, uh, command and control uh, data shooting back and forth to aircraft down to ground control stations that is not encrypted and yep. there is no requirement to have any of it encrypted and so i think it would be it's high time that uh, uh, the faa said oh by the way those uh you know that those communications need to be end-to-end encrypted absolutely all right and for this university of kansas got uh 650 while oregon state and drexel both got about six hundred and ten thousand dollars <throat> so um, I, I wonder how they we'll... figure out those exact amounts and how one university got you know just a, a few thousand dollars more than another. <laughs> right? imagine, I would I would imagine that it's a uh, a calculation of uh, person hours um, uh, project projected into the jobs and as well as uh, location uh, cost of living. And, yeah. I didn't I could, think about that. I could put that together. That put that spreadsheet together. <laughs> probably a guy whose entire job was putting that spreadsheet together. <laughs> yeah, probably. It, it probably took him, uh, yeah, a year and a half to do that, and uh, had to get six levels of management approval plus m- multi-agency review. Wow. Well, we pick on the poor FAA. They, <laughs> right. They have their crosses to bear. Yeah, sure. Um, today's announcement is the second round of uh, Assure grants, uh, which brings a total of 15 grants valued at $18.3 million for 2022 so far. And I'm sure they'll probably do another round. They usually do another late uh, second half uh, round as well for, for stuff. So uh, I'm hoping we'll see something come out of the Shielded Operations uh, study that we mentioned earlier. Um, that was, I mean, there was least a million and a half invested at a couple different universities for that so um i think so it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that obviously. yeah i assume there's nothing that says they have to make this information public no but it'd be great it sure it would be nice if when the faa gives uh grants that the result of that has to be somewhat public but i agree yeah, that'd be that'd be super nice. I was really impressed that they released the ARC document so quickly, to be yeah. honest with you. I mean, I know uh, Dave and a couple others were really pushing them to to make that documentation public, but they not only did it, they did it like in a like couple days. <laughs> Surprisingly <laughs> fast for the FAA. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So good on them. Uh that that definitely enhances some trust with uh, uh, the drone community. So that's all I've got for news articles. Dave, do you have anything for us this evening? Uh, just tomorrow is uh, uh, 
the start uh, for me of a uh, an AG AIM TG13 for how to put that into a series of abbreviations. The Advanced Aviation Advisory Committee's uh, Tasking Group 13 on AAM. Advanced Air Mobility. Air mobility. Is that what that is? Air Mobility. Thank you. Yes. Things like e- so. If anyone saw. Uh, 60 Minutes last week with Joby and another a bunch of that other companies. That show still on the air? And, well, it was... Uh, yeah, I, oh, 60 Minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't watch 60 Minutes, but I, I heard about the clip, and so I I, look, I watched it uh, this afternoon, uh, a, a, a video up on uh, YouTube of 60 Minutes. So it was Anderson Cooper interviewing, and I thought he did a, a credible job of uh, interviewing a number of executives as well as... Oh dear! Um, are the new FAA acting administrator? Oh yeah, Billy Nolan. If I'm not Billy Nolan, I think is his name. I missed the announcement of an acting comes from administrator. comes from within the FAA and the safety organization, and his um, answers to uh, uh, Anderson Cooper I thought were uh, intelligent and um, measured. He was not uh, over committing, but he was definitely. Uh, getting behind the notion that you know we want to work as quickly as possible. Obviously, you know, first and foremost is safety, and um, and then he characterized that we have to um, think about the airspace, the aircraft, and operations. And that was repeated by multiple CEOs that that's why certification takes so much time. So, uh, oh, oh, and yeah, I think that's I think that's all I had, Josh. So we've got, real quick, because apparently I missed this, and I don't know how I missed this. Uh, Billy Nolan is correct. Um, And he uh, was named in December, who in December was named the FAA's Associate Administrator for Aviation Safety, had previously been Vice President for Safety, Security, and Quality for WestJet Airlines in Canada. Um, he started his career with American Airline as an American Airlines pilot, um, and he will replace FAA Administrator Steve Dixon, who is stepping down on March 31st, which already happened. Uh, wow, how old is this article? March 26th. So, fail on me. I should have yeah. had this last week. It's not that old. <laughs> yeah, no, this is pretty. This is pretty recent. So, uh, Nolan leads a team of more than 7,600 FAA employees. Um, so. Uh, we'll see how he does. Congratulations on the on the promotion, Billy. <laughs> temporary, probably. Well, you know, temporary could turn into permanent. All depends on the job you do. All right. Uh, that uh, Dan, you got anything for us this evening? I don't have anything. I haven't even been flying much, so. Oh man. Not a whole lot going on. All right. It's well, been, it's been raining almost every day in New York, but I have um, gotten out in between the. Uh, oh, I did learn with HD Zero, there's a power cable that powers the goggles or the VRX, and it has a voltage regulator embedded in the cable. So you're you're plugging into a 4S battery, plug that into the into the headset, and if the voltage regulator fails, your, your screen goes good. black. So clean living pays off this ha- this happened to me and i was only 20 feet off the ground above grass fail i just turned the uh, 
disarmed. Drone dropped into the ground. I walked out, picked it up, figured, oh, brand new drone, must be the drone. After uh, swapping every component uh, possible and uh, multiple drones and having the same issue on uh, two other drones and then and then researching it, oh, yeah, yeah, I've had that problem too with that power cable. Thanks. Thanks, guys. <laughs> so... The Maybe we need uh, better voltage regulators uh, employed there. Well, yeah, well, or it's what. Well, so I, I I looked at it all the way back to the Fat Shark uh, documentation, and then on the well, Shark Bite, and then HD Zero. So it handles uh, a lot of voltage. It can mm-hmm. it can go up to I think it's five S, and so running four S is not too heavy, and so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, m- I might uh, cr- I might rig up a, uh, a voltage regulator, uh, but uh, with a, a, a new cable, everything is working just fine. No, <laughs> no black screen, and it was like black. <laughs> there was no like, oh, it's starting to fade. Oh, look, it's going away. God, just. <laughs> Did you think for a second you struck out, or <laughs> no, no, no? Because I saw the little, you know, the little lights around. I'm like, okay, I'm still awake. <laughs> uh, Dave, if you, I assume you haven't watched it, but uh, Joshua Bardwell's news section last night. I think they talked a bit about HD Zero and like the market share for it, and no, I... they talked. They, it's based just on a, on like a YouTube comment who they believe was. Greg from Fat Shark saying that they only ever produced about 2,000 of the video receivers for HD Zero, and 500 oh. of those they sold to a private company. So they only had about 1,500 total for the world, and that's so there can't be really more than 1,500 people using HD Zero right now, if that, that really number doesn't... is true. That really does not sound right because the the HD zero I'm hoping um, you know the, um, the the groups and the you know the uh, VTXs sell out immediately um, get FPV race day quads pyro uh, flight uh, five thirty three they all had the hundred dollar uh, freestyle. Uh, VTX and it sold out in two days. Yeah, you should. And I can't believe watch that section just, on his news. I, I, def- um, I most definitely will. They had a good discussion about it for sure. Interesting. Yeah, yeah I think I, that that volume sounds off by. <laughs> it could be. An, it sounds off by an order of magnitude. And then they so did I, say I, that probably doesn't include the um, the goggles, the ones that have HD zero built in, the Scout HDs. So there's right. a few more, but there's not a ton of people with those goggles, it sounds like. Why? Interesting. Boy, and what's also interesting is that HD Zero is now being picked up across the country by uh, multi-GP. So if you show up with uh, HD Zero at a race, no problem. You're you're good to go. So, yeah, that, the 1,500... Well, the other issue is is that we've got DJI V3s coming out, right? Yeah, and that's uh, what the rumor has it. Yep. And uh, what's the what's the chances that uh, everybody's investment in the V twos are just going to, you know, into I yeah, right? that's the so. standard uh, Apple and DJI uh, uh, strategy. And so it's you know, if, we, 
if you look at what HD Zero is doing and listening to the community, I think that they've got a really smart business model. Plus the fact that they created an ASIC that accelerates the the video and keeps it uh, consistent and low latency. I mean, I love it. It is. It's like um, it's well, it's like it's back in the day when we when we had RC airplanes that were like. <gasps> Every move that you would make, you would wait for the aircraft to to respond, and then you know, wow, digital proportional. This is so cool. <laughs> it's it's that type of a, a jump when you're when you move from a, a DJI uh, system over to uh, HD zero. It is so locked in, and uh, so I, yeah, I think it's gonna. I think it's fantastic. The graphics are are really good. They're not as as great as a set of. Uh, DJI, you know, FPV, but even if they're like, you know, 80%, like 80, 90%, the graphics is, the graphics is excellent. And the new cameras are great. It's got, I mean, cause for somebody, I mean, I still fly analog, right? So, and I do have a set of DJI goggles, but I don't have, you know, the, the, uh, ETXs to throw in my quad. So I just have the DJI FPV. But, you know, I got to test fly the DJI FPV when it first came out, and that was a leap, right? So yeah. over analog. But even if you just make that 75% or 80% leap, you're still making it, right? And you're still getting that great experience, that immersion. So um, pretty yeah. cool. I'm hoping, yeah. you know, DJI I, doesn't I leave us by the curve. But Yeah, yeah that, that will not surprise me. And, of course, yeah. the... Um... Uh, the situation with uh, DJI, um, yes, potentially facing uh, additional uh, restrictions from the U.S. government, that would not surprise me at all. Yeah. So, you know, for for our own sakes of HD Zero, it could be a, an extremely important vendor for us. I think in general, there's a lot of interest in high definition video transmission methods. So I, I don't think they're going to be the last ones we see, even if somebody comes in tangentially from like a whole different sector, you know, I think we're going to see more of these systems. Well, yeah. and the funny thing is, is a lot of these systems, you know, come, I mean, the original cameras that we use and, and still continue to use are based in the security camera market. You know, the same, same types of cameras, the HS 11, you know, 77 were, I mean, there's, they're bread and butter security cameras. That's what they're for. Um, and even more so a lot of the same technology is being implemented in the security cam market. I mean, you've got Wi-Fi transmission of, of security cam footage, that kind of stuff. So tangentially is not a far leap. It never has been for us. So, um, yeah, I, I totally agree, but good on them. Uh, hopefully they get, uh, you know, more product out there sooner. I know everybody's facing a chip shortage and, and well, whatnot. They, yeah, they're they've just you know HD Zero has just released a a new VRX, so it is a that's a uh, a replacement mm-hmm. for the Shark Bite, and uh, then they're hoping to get their goggles out. They they're saying by midsummer. My bet is that you know that'll be production volumes you know by the end of the year. So, mm-hmm. and the uh, we'll see how quickly you know, they're. Um, the VRX is uh, up on uh, all of the major uh, retailers, and uh, yeah. we'll see how quickly they sell out. I, I anticipate they'll sell out as well. All right, good combo. Anything else? 
questions, concerns, comments, ideas? Sounds pretty <laughs> quiet out there. All right. Flight Plus Fest is getting getting close. Yeah, getting we just excited. ordered uh, some race gates today. Yes. So. They're going to look great. Yeah, they are really cool. All right. So with that, I will give you back the rest of your evening. Thanks for joining us. We do appreciate it. I know it's a little late on the East Coast, especially for folks <laughs> like Dave. Um, yeah, old but, guys uh, are up, up at 7 a.m. at a Chamber of Commerce breakfast. <laughs> so uh, I'll give you back the rest of your evening. Have a great one, guys. We'll see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks. Thank you all.